0: I am excited. Uh, that, was, that was definitely fun. We've got 49ers and Chiefs fans up here giving an announcement. Like, who scheduled that? We've got Sam up here on 49ers Sunday. Where are you, yeah. Yeah, we, had, we had a lot of fun today. Uh, but today we get to get into God's Word. Anybody excited to get into God's Word? Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to it because uh, if you got your Bibles, why you can open them up to Judges. Judges chapter 2. We are continuing our series and our theme for the year called It's Time. It's time. That is our theme for this year. That's the vision that that God has for this church, just as uh, God told the Israelites who are wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, just waiting to get into the promised land. He told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 get ready. It's time to take the land. It's time to cross the Jordan. It's time to go into the promised land. And I believe that God is telling us the same thing today. He's saying, Get ready. It's time. It's time to go beyond the four walls of the church. It's time to go into your community. It's time to go into this land that I have promised you that, that Satan has dwelt in and had his hand on for too long. It's time to go and take the land. In. And the land I'm talking about are people's lives and people's hearts in our city in our community. So I believe that it's time that God wants to do something great here in this city. So our vision that we've been talking through and working through in this series has six different points. Uh, The first one of of that is uh, to make the presence of God paramount. Because the presence of God, that's where our victory comes from. The Israelites discovered that last week as they marched around the city of Jericho. Uh, They took with them the presence of God. Literally, they had a box called the, the Ark of the Covenant that they walked around the city with. And that's where they found their victory. And today, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we go into our city, that's where our victory comes from. Not because we have the best words to say or the best arguments or we're the nicest people. No, it's because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And so we gave you a challenge uh, last week. So some of you, if you weren't here last week, you saw the maps in the back as you walked in. What those are all about, uh, we encourage you, you can still do this, but to uh, adopt a few blocks in Aberdeen or uh, adopt a town or some land uh, outside of town and just put a circle on that and say, I'm going to commit to praying for this block. Uh, I'm going to commit to praying uh, for this circle that I'm going to do. And we're challenging you to say, hey, once a week, would you take the time to walk around that area or drive around that area? And so if you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to, uh, after service, circle a part on the map. There's a lot of prime real estate still available for you guys uh, uh, to walk around. And I'm just saying this. Somebody is missing an opportunity right now. Okay, There are three golf courses on there, and none of them are circled. Okay? I mean, think about this. Think about this. You could go and say, honey, I got to go on my prayer walk. I'll be back in three hours. I mean, you can use that. All right? So that is my gift to you. Go circle the golf course. It's going to be great. But no, I, I'm believing God for great things that as we circle these places, as we, as we make those laps, as we drive around, and I, I believe that we're going to see victory in there. Because we're taking the presence of God to these places. I believe we're going to have some great wins. So that's, that's our first one, make the presence of God paramount. The second one that we're going to be talking about today is that we need to be a multicultural and multi-generational church. And so we're going to talk about that one in depth today. Uh, the third one, to be known by our mission. So not simply to be known by our location. Hey, you're the church across from Wiley Lake. Yes, but we want to be known. That's the church that loves God. That's the church that, that they actually care for people. They love people. That's the church that shares Christ. That's the church that's always telling us about Jesus. That's what we want to be known for. The fourth and the fifth one go hand in hand, uh, and it all centers around the 4%. I believe that God, uh, the church, you know, God is a God of addition and multiplication. And so I believe as a church, a healthy church is a church that is multiplying. Right now as a church, we, we, we hit about 1% of our community. We hit about 1% of Aberdeen. So I'm believing that as we love God, love people, and share Christ, that our church is going to multiply, that we're going to reach more people, that uh, we're going to reach 4%. Right? Start with one. From one, we got to multiply to two. From two, we got to multiply to four. But I believe that God can do that. How do we do that? Uh, number four is each one reach one. Each one of us takes the gospel because God gave us the great commission, right, to uh, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And that wasn't to just certain people. That was to every believer. Every believer. Everyone is called to be a disciple maker. Not, Not simply to share the gospel, but also that number five, to each one, teach one. That we can simply pass on our faith. Now we don't stop when somebody says, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But then that's when the, the real journey even begins. Now we walk alongside them. And, and we, we, we do life with them. We study the Bible together. We grow and we learn together. So each one to each one. And in fact, uh, here's some exciting stuff. We're going to do something totally new this year. Uh, for Easter that we haven't done before. So Easter's coming up on March 31st, and we're going to be getting some more details and exciting things that we're going to be doing uh, in our community. Uh, but one thing to mark on your calendar is on Easter Sunday, we're, it's also going to be a baptism service. So we're going to have baptisms on Easter Sunday. It's just going to be a big uh, celebration. So if you haven't been baptized yet, if you've made that uh, step to follow Jesus and uh, you'd like to get baptized, come talk to me. Uh, It's something that Jesus commanded us to do and I'd love to uh, talk that through with you and have you up here on Easter and and, uh, it's going to be a powerful day. But imagine, maybe even now, that one person that God's called you to reach, maybe on Easter Sunday they're getting baptized, right? It's only a few weeks away, but God can do it. God can do it. And the sixth one uh, that we've got up there is six missions trips in six different regions with our missionaries in three years. So we're believing that God's going to use our church. We've been great at giving. We've been great at praying. But, but now he's calling us, let's go. Let, let's go. And, and so I'm excited. Our first trip is coming up here uh, June 10th through the 14th. So just a, a short, short-term missions trip, uh, but right in our backyard at the Rosebud Reservation with our missionaries, Johnny and Heidi Wade. And uh, so those, those details, we're getting more and more out there. It's going to be June 10th through the 14th. And if you're interested in that, uh, we can take up to 40 people on that trip, I believe. Uh, we have a sign-up sheet out in the foyer if you'd like some more info. And we're going to have an info meeting, so you can mark this on your calendar, uh, right after service two weeks from today. So on February 25th, we're going to have a 10-minute info meeting where you can ask questions, and we'll have some more details for you. Uh, And uh, that's going to be a great time. I believe God's going to do some powerful things uh, down at the Rosebud Reservation, and we get to see missions firsthand, uh, even in our own backyard. So that is our vision. Week two, Week two, we are looking at here multicultural and multi-generational. So that's the one we're focusing on today. Did you know we've got a lot of cultures in Aberdeen? It's ever growing. We, we have more and more cultures uh, coming into our community. I gave the stats before, but uh, over the past decade, our diversity in Aberdeen has, has doubled uh, to almost 20% of our population. Uh, it's coming through job opportunities, through immigration, through refugees. Uh, and, and Aberdeen, honestly, you're all here. Aberdeen's a great place to live, don't you think? I think this is a great part of the country that we get to live in. Sure, we complain about the weather, but so does everybody. You know, we, we love it here. It's a, it's a safe place. We've got great people, right? We, we've got great opportunities out here. Uh, but there's many cultures that are coming into Aberdeen. We also have lots of generations here in Aberdeen. Uh, Right now, according everybody's kind of labels generations different, but I would say there are seven generations that are alive right now. So let me walk you through those quick. Uh, The first one, and the one that's just barely holding on right now, is uh, they refer to themselves as the greatest generation. Seems a little cocky, but you know, uh, maybe they've earned it. We're not going to argue with them. The greatest generation, uh, they were born before 1928. They said uh, they're said to have saved the world. Uh, They won World War II. They survived the Great Depression. I mean, these were hardy people. Uh, The next generation is what's known as the silent generation, born from 1928 to 1945. Uh, They were characterized as trending towards conformity and traditionalism, as well as compromising to the silent majority. So that's why they're called the silent generation. They didn't act out too much, although they did. Uh, invent rock and roll, so I mean there was a few rebels among them. Uh, They were a smaller generation because of the Great Depression and World War II. Uh, They fought in the Korean War, and so that's the the silent generation. Uh, The next generation, boomers, 1946 through 1964. Uh, They're known as boomers because of the baby boom after World War II. Uh, They were once leaders of the countercultural upheavals in the 60s, They didn't take after their parents in the silent generation. And this is the generation that's now nearing retirement or or already retiring. The following generation is Gen X from 1965 to 1980. Uh, They were named Gen X. Uh, There was a book that came out called uh, Gen X Tales for Accelerated Culture. Right, so now we've got technology coming into the scene. Uh, first generation to have video games. I mean, they're coming up with even new music genres like alternative rock, hip hop, punk, heavy metal. I mean, I mean, this is this is a new generation here. Uh, they were also known as the latchkey generation uh, because divorce rates went up. Many kids would be on their own after school. There wasn't a well-developed childcare system or anything like that. So that's Gen X. Uh, Followed by the next generation from 1981 to 1996, you've got millennials, or alphabetically, Gen Y. Uh, They're known as millennials because they entered adulthood right at the turn of the millennium. And this was the first generation that had internet. This was the first global generation. So you can kind of see how technology shapes a generation. Uh, Next up is Gen Z, 97 to 2015. They're called Gen Z, again, because that's what comes next alphabetically, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, and uh, they're also known as Zoomers. This is the first digital generation. They're digital natives. They grew up with smartphones, right? All these other generations, you're, you're new to technology, you know, trying to figure out uh, these things, but, but they grew up with it. You know, this is like part of them. They don't know how to live without it uh, because they're digital natives. And then finally, we've got Gen Alpha. Uh, they're 2016 to present, Now, this is a group we don't know a whole lot about yet because the oldest is only eight years old. Uh, They switched to Alpha because we hit the end of the alphabet, so we started at the beginning of the uh, Greek alphabet. And uh, also, this is the first generation completely in the new millennium. And you can imagine how technology will define this next generation. You know, imagine uh, how many things that are incorporated in there. And so we've got... Every generation here in Aberdeen, we've got uh, many ever-increasing amount of cultures in Aberdeen. So the question today is, how do we as a church respond? How do we, as a church respond to the generations? What do we do about cultures? Why is it so important? Why is it so important to care about generations and cultures that are different than ours? Because it's kind of nice just to stick with people who are the same culture and people who are the same generation as you, because you understand them. We understand them. But, but why should we care? Why, why should we reach out? Why should we branch out? Why should we take the time to invest in a different generation? Why should we take the time to invest in a different culture than your own? So that's what we're looking at today. So Judges chapter 2 is the verse we're looking at. We're going to start with verse 6, but let me give you a little bit of context. In Judges, uh, this is right after the Israelites. Uh, they've gone into the Promised Land. They defeat Jericho. They go around. They defeat uh, the rest of the country. They they win in battle. And when you start Judges, they've pretty much taken the Promised Land. They didn't do it quite according to the way God wanted to them, but in their eyes, the job was finished. They sent people home. They got to go. They put away their swords. They picked up their plows. They started working the land. They started building homes. They became settled in this land of Israel. And then we read Judges chapter 2, starting with verse 6. It says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. Then the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred and ten. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance. At Timnath-Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. Verse 10 says this, and this this is a scary passage. It says, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Astraths. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. God, may we take this passage as, as a warning. God, may we take this as a challenge for us to reach the next generation, for us to reach the cultures around us. Lord, we thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, I, I read this, and this is, a, this is a scary passage. Here you've got the Israelites who, by all accounts, they're following God. They finally did what God had told them to do, and take the promised land. They're listening to Him. They're obeying Him. They've seen all of these great things. They've seen the Red Sea part, right? They've received, they've eaten manna from heaven. They saw the Jordan uh, stop so they could walk through on dry ground. They've seen Jericho fall. They've seen all these other places that God's glory and His mercy helped them defeat. And things are going good. Now you would think that that this generation would say, hey, next generation, keep following God. Keep doing what's right. But, but it said Joshua died and his contemporaries, they all died. And the next generation didn't know the Lord. They didn't know what God had done for them. And they started serving other gods. They started chasing after other gods. And, and so it's, this verse is scary because we are only one generation away from losing the faith. And let that sink in for a minute. We're only one generation away from losing the faith. That's what they I, they they experienced, I mean, God in a way that we could only dream of experiencing. And they fell away. What are we doing to reach the next generation? What are we doing to make sure that the next generation knows Jesus? Think about the next generation in, in Aberdeen and our communities. Uh, again, some of the stats that we have, almost 25% of our population is under 18 right here. Uh, almost 40% of our population is under 25. It's the next generation, right? Our, our Gen Z and our Gen Alpha, they're, they're coming. What are we doing to reach Gen Z? What are we doing to reach Gen Alpha? What is the church doing to pass our faith to the next generation? Here's some more stats for you. Uh, there was a church attendance survey that, that they had, and it said that in 2000, in the year 2000, 44% of Americans had attending, attended church in the last week. 44%. 44%. Fast forward 23 years later, in 2023, they did the same survey, and only 25% of Americans had attended church in the last week. Only 25%. That's a, that's a big drop. We can add into there was 6% who said they uh, attended online. So 31%, but that's still a drop of 13% of people. 13%. We dropped 13% in 23 years of people who attend church. Do the math on that. That's 43 million people gone. 43 million people that we lost in the American church. Why is that? Why, why are people leaving the church? I've got a couple theories on it. My first one is this. It's not because people are losing the faith. I don't think 43 million people from 2020 to 2023 said, I don't believe anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm just not going to attend church anymore. I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. I, I don't think it's that. But I believe there's two main reasons why. And the first one is a generational gap. I believe it's through the generations. You see, in the last 23 years, there's been many faithful followers of Jesus from the silent generation and the greatest generation that attended church every week, that followed Jesus, that died. Right? They're no longer with us. But the millennials and Gen Z and Gen Alpha in the next generation, they haven't taken their place. Right? They they didn't grow up going to church. We didn't pass it down to the next generation. Uh, again, a survey by Pew Research says that 51% of the greatest generation in the silent generation attended church weekly. 51%. But only 28% of our youngest generations attend church weekly. And I know church attendance isn't salvation, but I mean, it is a reflection of something. So here you have the older generations who 51% say, yeah, we're all in. And then you only have 28%, almost half of the next generation's. We would need 51% of the next generations if we wanted to keep that same growth, but it's not happening. So the older generations who are dying and the younger generations aren't taking their place. So I believe there's a generational gap that we're missing. The second reason that I believe that those numbers dropped where we lost that 13% of people in church is cultural. It's a cultural gap. See, new cultures have come into our society. Uh, Again, we've talked about, we've seen it in our community, we've seen it around this nation. Uh, In fact, the diversity rate of 25% in 2000 of America uh, jumped to 40% in 2020. Diversity in our nation. So we're bringing in a lot more people, we're bringing in a lot more belief systems. Our nation is growing. But has our church adapted to reach these new cultures around us? Or have we simply been content to do what we've always done? Right. So there's a a generational gap. There is a cultural gap. Uh, You look at the numbers, the American church is declining. The American church is declining. In 1972, uh, they did a survey, there was 90% that would say, yeah, we're Christian. In 2020, it's down to 64% that would view themselves as Christian. Uh, in that same time, there was 5% in 1972 who uh, deemed themselves, I have no religion. I, none. You know, whether that's atheist or whatever, they just have no religion. And in 2020, that's up to 30%. No religion is the fastest growing religion in our country. Now, thankfully, this, here's some hope American Pentecostal churches, that, is, that would be those who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, those are on the rise. God is moving. God is, is growing those churches. The global church is multiplying. So while we in America, we may be shrinking down, the global church is, is multiplying. There's a growth rate of 1.17%. Uh, percent. So currently, 2.5 billion people uh, that follow Jesus, or uh, the surveys that they've done, and so they believe even by 2050 we'll be up to 3.3 billion. And so those are some some good news. Globally, God's doing a great work, but why not here? You know, we we see uh, countries, they they have the top 10 countries for the most Christians uh, total in those countries, and we see other countries that, that Christianity is exploding like Brazil, Mexico, uh, China, the Philippines, Nigeria, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Ethiopia, India, where the gospel is flourishing in some of these places. Some of them, it's underground churches. Some of them, uh, you know, it's, it's house churches. Some of them, uh, God is just sending revival to these places. You know, so we're seeing that growth around the world. But the American church is, is declining in large part because of our generational gap because we we haven't reached the next generation, because we haven't reached these cultures that are coming to us. I mean, this is missions coming to us. We like to to give and pray and send our missionaries, but now missions is coming right in our back door. What are we going to do about it? So why are these such an issue? I'd like to hit on maybe an even underlying problem of the generational gap and the culture gap, and that is the comfort problem the comfort problem. I believe the church faces a comfort problem. The Israelites faced a comfort problem, right? They go in there and and they are facing giants, right? They're facing giants in the promised land. They're they're facing tasks. They're facing Jericho, this 50 foot high walled city. And they say, I don't know how we're going to defeat this. So what do they do? They rely on God. They trust in him. They ask him, God, would you give us the victory? And so they go through, and as they walk through the land, they're, they're trusting in God. They're believing in him for everything. But then once they finally get the land and they start to settle, it's almost like they say, okay, God, we don't need you anymore. You know, we're, we're good. We're going we're to build our houses. We're, we're going to plow our fields. We don't have to rely on you for manna. We don't need you to part the Red Sea anymore. God, we've got this. Church, that's a scary place to be in when we're comfortable, when everything's all right. That's when we, we say, Ah, oh, God, I don't need you anymore. And sometimes I think that, that maybe as a church, we can get comfortable. We can get comfortable. We talked about, hey, this is our 90th year as a church. 90 years ago, our church wasn't comfortable. They were hungry, right? They were uncomfortable. They said, God, if you don't grow your church, we can't do it on our own. They didn't have a place to meet. They were looking for houses and basements. How can we, how can we come together? Because they were hungry for more. God, they weren't comfortable. They, they, they weren't comfortable. They said, hey, how can we reach our city? But after 90 years, you know, we've got an incredible building. We've got comfy pews. You know, some of you sit in the same seat every week. You know, it's nice and broken in. We can get comfortable we can get comfortable. We can lose sight of the mission. We can lose, lose sight of the vision that God has for us. We can forget where our victory comes from. We can forget to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, everything that I have comes from you. But church, may, may the next generation not knowing Jesus make us uncomfortable. May that make us uncomfortable that only 28% of the youngest generations are following Jesus. May that make us uncomfortable. May new cultures who are coming into town who need to hear about Jesus, may that make us uncomfortable. There are people right here in our city who don't know Jesus. May that make us uncomfortable. May it make us uncomfortable when we hear that we are just one generation away from losing the faith. Oh God, make us uncomfortable. Now let me share with you some hope. It's true. We're one generation away from losing the faith. But the opposite's also true. We're one generation away from revival. Oh, I believe that church. We're one generation away from revival. We're one generation away from the most incredible move of God. And let me hit you with some even better news God already has a plan in place to make this happen. It's called the church. The church. We are God's plan to reach our world. We are God's plan to reach the next generation, right? He told Peter, he says, you are Peter and on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. God has given the church authority. He's given the church authority to go out and reach this world. He's given us the great commission right, to go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. God's plan to reach this world, God's plan to reach the next generation, is the church. It's the church. So let's talk about that plan. Let's talk about the church. What is the church? What does the church look like? Two things. I believe the church is multi-generational. Church is multi-generational. Why do I say that? Because everywhere in the Bible, we see the church being referred to as a family. Right? This is is our church family, like we talked about. The church is a family. And guess what? Families are generational. They're multi-generational. They may not be close to you, but you've got a mom and a dad. You've got a grandpa and a grandma. You've got every generation there. Families are multi-generational. The church is a family. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and we are members of the household of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. Romans 8 tells us that those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That we have been adopted by God. That we are called sons and daughters of God. The church is a family. right? If you've accepted Christ look around, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're your brothers and sisters. And since we're brothers and sisters and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandpas and grandmas, uh, then we need to treat each other like family. The church needs to treat each other like family. 1 Timothy chapter 5 tells us, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity says we're supposed to treat each other, treat each other, respect each other, rather than not talk to them at all or anything like that. No, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your family. And how many of you know, man, it helps to have some family around. I, I feel sorry for people who move to town and they don't have a church family. They don't have any family around them. And, and they're just going at it by themselves. But this is a church family. We love each other. We care for each other. We're there for each other when, when, when we have needs. We're there to pray for each other. We're there are to, to give, to help each other. And Jesus, when he was asked, who's your mother? Who, who is your brother? says so He stretched his hand towards his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. See, Jesus taught us that. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I... Uh, for me personally, I grew up in church. I mean, I, I think the place I spent the most time, I think I might have spent more time at church than I did at school. You know, it was just, I was always there. My mom was the church secretary. Uh, she was on the worship team, so we were the first ones there at church every Sunday. Uh, my dad was often a board member, and he counted the offering after church, so we were one of the last families to leave every Sunday. You know, We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, during the week, hung out there during the summers. Like I was just around the church, and I love the church. I love being at the church, and it wasn't because we had a ping-pong table but that really helped. You know, it wasn't because the youth room had video games and, and and it wasn't because I knew all the secret hiding spots for food around the church. Those were all great benefits. But the reason why I loved the church because the church was my family. The church was my family. I I had I had brothers and sisters in that church. Right? I had brothers and sisters they were my best friends went to the church. My best friends. They, they were, I was closest to them, and it wasn't because we had anything in common. I'm thinking about my friends. One was really into music and doing all that. I, I didn't know how to play music. I had another one who was like a comic book nerd, and I wasn't into that either. Like, I wanted to play sports, all, all of these different things. But we were best friends because we followed Jesus together. We were family. We were family. I had so many aunts and uncles and spiritual moms and dads in that church. I mean, ones who, you know, would care about me, ask, ask questions, ones who would discipline me and put me in my place if I ever got out of line. You know, you, you need those. Ones who, who would care for me. Uh, you know, I had, had people who, would, we, we'd go over to their house, they'd invite us, we'd celebrate birthdays together, you know, we'd go watch the Super Bowl together. I mean, we, we had a great time, spiritual moms and dads and aunts and uncles in our church. Spiritual grandparents, uh, grandpas and grandmas, you know, people who would say, hey, can you come do this task in my backyard and I'll hire you and I'll probably do a bad job of it. I didn't know what I was doing, but they just loved on you. You know, they asked questions. How are you doing in school? They just took time to invest in me. Uh, one I've shared before, his name was Steve. And uh, every week he found out I liked tennis and he liked tennis. So we'd talk tennis every week. You know, he'd give me tips and pointers, and it meant so much to me one day. He he saw I was using this twenty dollar Walmart special racket and, and he gave me his old nice rackets. You know, it's like, oh wow, Steve, this is so how can I accept this? This is too kind. But it meant so much to me. It meant so much to me. But let me tell you what, it does something for you when you're surrounded by your church family and they're kind to you, they, they care for you, but then you see them lead. You see them lead in you know, the, the kid zone. or You see them serve. You see them share their faith. You see them seek after Jesus at an altar. And boy, that does something for you. It does something for you as a believer when you're surrounded by other believers who are going the same direction, who are encouraging you, who are challenging you, who, who are welcoming you. It makes you a stronger Christian when you have a great support network, when you have a great church family. See, I believe that it takes every generation to reach the next generation. It takes every generation. It takes grandpas and grandmas and moms and dads and sisters and brothers. But if we stay comfortable, if we stay inside of our generational boundaries, if we stay inside our cultural boundaries, then we'll miss the next generation. But I believe that as we go outside of our generations that we're going to see revival in the next one. So the church is multi-generational. Second thing is the church is multicultural. Church is multicultural. Uh, this was a struggle with the early church. Uh, initially, they thought salvation is only for the Jews. For, salvation is only you know, for this people, for, for God's people. Well, they quickly learned that that wasn't the case. That Jesus didn't simply die for the Jews, but he died for the world. He died for each one of us. Uh, Peter, again, the leader of the church, God made it very clear to him one day when he told him, Hey, I want you to go and preach the good news to the Gentiles. Gentiles being anybody who wasn't a Jew. And so he was invited over to Cornelius' house. The Holy Spirit, excuse me, the Holy Spirit set it all up. And so he started sharing the gospel in Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius and his family, and uh, lo and behold, God moved. The family was saved, and not only that, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, just like the disciples were on the day of Pentecost up in the upper room, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit empowered them, and it was powerful, and he realized that day, salvation is for everyone. The church is multicultural. Multicultural. Uh, In Acts chapter 11, uh, Peter said this, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Think about that. When we think, when we say, "Ah, salvation's not for that person. God can never reach that community. God can never reach that culture. I'm not going to share my faith with them. Then we stand in God's way. Because God's way... God's desire is that the whole world would know him. Every culture, every people group. Uh, We see the Holy Spirit leads Philip. Philip was doing a great work in Samaria. We're seeing God do incredible things. And God, uh, the Holy Spirit leads Philip onto a desert road in the middle of nowhere. And he happens upon uh, an Ethiopian man who was uh, a pretty high up official in Ethiopia. It says he was in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. And he was sitting there reading the prophet Isaiah, and he just didn't understand it. And Philip said, oh, this is who I need to reach out to. So he gets up there and he says, hey, let me explain this to you. This, this person you're reading about that Isaiah prophesied about, his name's Jesus, and he died for you, and he loves you. And, and the Ethiopian was saved right there, and he was baptized right there. Uh, Paul, he was called to be a missionary to everywhere that wasn't Israel, right? He, he just went off. He was a missionary uh, from Israel all the way to Italy, possibly even Spain. And when Paul writes to the the church in Rome in Romans 16, he ends his book by listing all the people who the church was made up of, greeting several different people. And we see many different races. We see Jewish, we see Latin, we see Greek, Roman, and Persian. He he writes to different classes, different genders, different generations, different uh, spiritual giftings, different spiritual maturity. And it's just this snapshot of what the church is. Every generation. Every culture. That's what the church is. See, the church by nature is diverse because the people that God created are diverse. Check out this glimpse of heaven that we have in Revelation 7. It's Revelation that John received. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says this After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a picture of heaven. Every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language, lifting up the praises of God together. That's what heaven's like. Church, if we want a little taste of heaven on earth, then we need to be a multicultural church with every tribe, every nation, every language. We want to be a church that everyone is welcome. Everyone's welcome. Every culture is welcome. Every generation is welcome because it's a reflection of heaven. It's a reflection of heaven. See, again, we don't want to just be multicultural for the sake of being multicultural. We want to be multicultural because our city is multicultural. The people around us are, are from many different places, and we want to reflect our city. We want to reach our community. See, the church needs to be multigenerational and multicultural. All right, I promised every message we're going to make these things practical. How can we? How can we do this? And and uh, if we could, Len, if you would come. Um, we're going to make this real practical for you right now. So this is the time you can bust out the, the notebook or pull, put this on the backside of your bulletin. But here's some practical steps that we can take to be a multi-generational and a multicultural church. Here we go. First one is this. Talk with somebody different than you. It's a simple step that you can take. Somebody who's of a different generation than you someone who's a different culture than you, take the time to go outside of your generation, outside of your, your culture, uh, whether that's inside of the church right here or whether that's outside the church. Take time to get to know people. So let me give you some practical steps. How do you do that? You know, maybe you're sitting there but what do I say? How do I relate to these people? You know, they're in a different generation than me. I I don't understand them. You know, they're digital natives down there. Or, oh man, those are old people. How do I go out of my way to talk to them? They're a different culture, whatever it may be. Here's here's some simple steps to connect with somebody cross-generation, cross-cultural. First one is this. Value their name. Value their name. You ever say, hey, what's your name? And 10 seconds later, you can't remember what it was. Anybody else have that problem, or is it just me? Right. Value their name. Take time to get to know them. Uh, if their name sounds, you know, different than what you're used to, you've never heard that name. Practice. Take, make sure you get that right because a name is special to each person. So that's an easy way we can value people and say we care about you is to take time to learn their name. Greet them by their name the next time you see them. Uh, second thing, don't make assumptions. Don't make assumptions. Don't, don't group people into stereotypes. You know, oh, this, this generation is just, they're lazy, you know. Or this generation, they just don't know how to use technology. Or this culture, you know, they're all like this. Or this culture's all like this. Everybody's different. Every person's different. So don't make assumptions. Step three, ask questions. Ask questions. Get to know about them. And along with that, uh, listen and learn. Listen and learn. Listen to their story. Learn about their culture. Learn about what they're going through. Ask them about their their struggles. Find out more of their story. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What did you do? And the last one's this. Find common ground. Find common ground. Find something that, you know, everybody's got something in common. Maybe you like the same sports team. You know, maybe... Maybe, you know, hey, you're both moms, or you're both dads, or you've both got grandkids. Whatever it might be, find something. We're all humans. We've all got similarities. We all connect somehow. Find where you connect. Find common ground. So that's how we can relate. That's how, when you reach out to somebody, these are simple steps to do to do that. All right, another way we can make it practical. Invite people over. Invite people over. You know, it's kind of... A pretty special thing when you invite somebody into your house or to be invited over to someone's house. Spend time outside the church. Maybe it's for a meal, maybe it's for the Super Bowl tonight, you know, maybe it's for an activity, but invite someone over. That's a great way that you can connect with different generations and with different cultures. And again, there's something about food that's powerful. When you guys eat together, when we break bread together, you know, Jesus knew what he was doing. Uh, Third thing, look for mentoring relationships. Look for mentoring relationships relationships. Think for a second. Who poured into you when you were a kid? Who's pouring into you now? Maybe you can picture names and faces of people that have invested in your life, that meant a lot to you, that you would go to their funeral because they mean so much to you. So now stop for a moment and think, who are you doing that for? Right? Right? You've got spiritual aunts and uncles and moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas, but who are you a spiritual mom or dad to? Who are you a spiritual grandpa or grandma to? It takes every generation to reach the next generation. So find ways. It, you don't have to have a long, you know, 30 minute meeting once a week, but it might just be being intentional enough that every Sunday you come, you make sure you you say hi or you talk to one, one kid, or one teenager, or one young adult, and you just talk to them. Maybe it's about tennis. You know, that was a silly thing for me, but man, it was, it was transformational in my life. Find common ground, right? Find something you're both interested in, and just ask them. Care. Care. Let's pour into the next generation. Last thing. Serve a specific generation or culture. We know that generations attract generations. And as a church, we're going to continue to offer generation-specific ministry cultural-specific ministry. We, we want to we reach everybody. It's nice to be together, but we also want to be intentional. That's why we've got kids up in the kids zone right now, and they're hearing a message that's right uh, in, in their learning. Uh, it's, it's right in their zone. They're with their friends. We want to give that opportunity. Our teenagers on, on Wednesday nights, we want to give an opportunity that, that reaches teenagers where they can say, hey, come along. You know, we're, we're going to have a great time. Young adults right now, Right? We need people to serve young adults. We, 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 we want to have more opportunities. We've got a, a huge age group right here in our city, but we want that to be reflected in the church so maybe God lays young adults on your heart. We've got ministries. We've got life groups for young families. We've got life groups uh, for 50 plus. We've got a lot of different things like that. We're going to continue to offer those. But maybe God puts a demographic on your heart that, that you just say, hey, we need to do more for this and I want to take some leadership in that. Come talk to me. I'd love to hear it. If God's putting, maybe there's a culture on your heart that you say, hey, you know, we need to start a life group for this. We need to start a Sunday school for this call. Let's do it. Come talk to me. If God puts that on your heart and you want to lead, you want to help grow in that area, God's speaking. Let's be the church. Because again, generations reach generations. Cultures reach cultures. So what culture, what generation is God laying on your heart? So as a church, let's make people feel welcomed. Let's make people feel valued. That's what the church is all about. We care for people. We love on people. Think about this for a moment. As we come to a close here, Jesus died for everyone, right? For God so loved the world. Excuse me, for God so loved. It says the world in there, right? It doesn't say for God so loved boomers. For God so loved Americans. No, it says, for God so loved the world. God loved every generation. God God loved every people group, every culture. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That Jesus came, that he died on the cross so that we could have salvation so every generation, every culture could be saved. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. That whoever believes in him will have eternal life. See, the good news is for everyone. Today, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Today could be that day. Today you could give your life to Him and and experience the freedom unlike never before. Simply asking Jesus to come into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. So I give you that opportunity today. The church, I believe that as a church, when we're multicultural, and multigenerational, we become a much more resilient church. We become a much more resilient people, believers. And when we do that, I believe we're only one generation away from revival. God, do it again. God, do it here. Today, I want to close in a little bit of a different way. And so right now, here's what I want you to do. Uh, In your seats, I want you just to turn and find somebody not part of your family. Maybe they're behind you or in front of you or on the side of you. And I want you just to have a conversation, have a spiritual conversation with somebody sitting next to you. Just, And I'll put a time limit, three minutes, all right? Three minute conversation uh, with somebody sitting next to you. And and here's what I want you to do. Just share a Bible verse that means a lot to you. Maybe it's your your favorite Bible verse, something that even spoke to you today. Just share a Bible verse that means a lot to you. And if you're real brave, pray for All right? Ask them, hey, what can I pray for you for? And and pray for them. So I want you right now, all right? Take three minutes, find a person sitting next to you and have a three-minute conversation uh, about your favorite Bible verse. So go ahead, take three minutes.